Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mdiwa Gavaza, and for today, we get into what's going to be a great discussion about the state of the economy from uh, a company and from someone who is constantly looking for opportunities in that economy, and that is from an investment point of view. We often talk about how the state of the economy does help to drive or deter investments, and for today we're going to be joined uh, by uh, Peregrine Capital. They are South Africa's, if I remember correctly, first and longest running hedge fund in the country and we're going to be getting a sense of um, how they're seeing the economy. Uh, They've actually been in business for 25 years now, I think uh, launched in 1998. Uh, So for them it's a little bit of a celebration as well and it will be interesting to get a sense, um, you know, from our guest today, that is uh, Jacques Conradi who is the CEO of Peregrine uh, to get a sense of how they're viewing the economy and uh, how all of that is helping to drive their investment philosophy at the moment. Jacques, greetings to you today. Hi, Miriwa, and thank you very much for having me on. I look forward to our conversation. No, most certainly. We usually start uh, these conversations by getting a sense of the organizations that our guests and experts are coming from. So for the people that may not have heard of Peregrine Capital, I've already given uh, what I think is the high-level view, but maybe you can you know, give us a little bit more color around that. Okay, that, yeah, thank you. So the business was started in July 1998. So as you covered, uh, we turned 25 this year and we're the first and longest running hedge fund manager in South Africa. Um, what does a hedge fund do? It's a very similar job to what a long only institution, a uh, long only fund manager would do. We buy and sell shares for our clients in the portfolio with a view of delivering great risk adjusted returns for clients. So delivering good upside while managing the balance side in the tough years for the market. That, that's our goal. Um, if I, we've got two flagship funds, our high growth fund and our peer hedge fund. Are the, are the two main funds that most of our clients are invested. Um, we manage a bit more than 15 billion rand assets. And if I say that the two achievements we're probably most proud of is for our peer hedge fund in the 24 years it's been running, or 25 this year, it's never had a negative year. And then for our high growth fund, uh, we're the only fund in South Africa that's done more than 100 times returns for investors from, from day one. So. That's what we try to do. Obviously, that's historically things. We've got to make sure that we do the research and the work every day to keep this up. And But that's certainly what we aim to do and deliver going forward. Uh, now, we are at the start of, uh, what you call this, we are at the start of February now, um, which means January is done. And hopefully it means people can stop saying Happy New Year now. Um, <laughs> but uh, outside of that, one of the things that we did through January, you know, almost every Friday, with the exception of last week, uh, where we're talking about the latest interest rate decision is maybe looking back at 2022, what shaped that year from an economy, you know, point of view, and uh, very keen to get your sense from a Peregrine Capital point of view, just uh, from an, as a, that investor's view, how you guys, uh, you know, perhaps saw 2022, how you guys view it in the rearview mirror. Yeah, um, so, so I think I'll give you two perspectives, global and, and local. If we start with global, I'd say it was the year where inflation made a big return. It's almost been 40 years, uh, like early 1980s, since the world really panicked about inflation lost. 
at 2022 was the year of that coming back. So it, it shows you there's these long-term trends in markets and sometimes something is an issue for many years and then suddenly it becomes an issue again. So it's the return of inflation and our central banks around the world had to very aggressively change tack from very easy monetary policy to increasing rates and stopping quantitative easing and money printing to fight this runaway inflation. So that drove global markets. It's sending bonds into a very difficult year as bonds typically don't do well when rates go up significantly. And it's also a very tough year for global equity markets. Most markets and most countries down at 20% because of these aggressive rate hikes and the end of free money. So that was quite a big year globally um, and, and interesting new drivers. Um, South Africa naturally um, was impacted by this. We also uh, felt some inflation, but less so than developed markets. We also had to increase rates. But I think if you look at South Africa, as is normally the case, we've had some of our own problems and specifically the issues with the, the SOEs being ESCOM and Transnet that I think clouded an otherwise fairly optimistic picture of SA. I mean, we, we are probably more optimistic than most on South Africa in 2022 and also the, the medium-term prospects, but we certainly have some very severe uh, challenges that uh, emerge as the year progressed and that's still basing us in, in 2023. And uh, against that backdrop, because, you know, just talking to others in the investment community, the geopolitical um, aspects, at least globally, um, were the one thing that no one could have anticipated going into 2022. And then obviously that's resulted in the downturn that you've just highlighted now. You know, many stock exchanges taking huge hits. Some of the world's biggest companies, especially in the technology sector, coming off losing 20 plus percent of uh, of their valuations. Against that backdrop, how did your funds, because you had already alluded to the two funds that you guys have, how did the funds perform 2022? Um, it was a fairly good year for us. Our two funds, the PRH fund was up 13% and the high growth fund was up around 12% for the year. So I think quite a nice year, year of our performance. And if I look at what, what drove that, um, I think just our normal investment velocity of picking businesses that will outperform the overall market is typically the key driver in any one year. But then because we're a boutique asset manager, we pride ourselves on very rapidly look, assimilating new information and new data we get and trying to position a portfolio appropriately before that. And you touched on it. Last year was the year of the geopolitical surprises, the war, uh, first major war the world seen for a long time being the major one. And I think we did a reasonable job getting our heads down when that happened for that week or two, figuring out what's going to be the main things that changes in the world. How do we have to, what do we have to sell? What do we have to buy? How do we have to reposition our portfolio? So we typically like environments with big surprises like that because at our size, it allows us to quickly reposition the portfolio and to try to actually take advantage of that rather than, than being, being hurt by those environments. So you never know what the next year will bring, but you can have a process to price to react rapidly, uh, uh, to, to put the position for that. So maybe just the one example, um, I think the key thing we figured out is that the world would put aggressive sanctions on Russia because of this war that was fairly dear the moment they moved. Then you can say, what is Russia's major exports? Russia's major exports are gas, oil, and coal. So those are going to be the three things that's going to be tight globally. And is there then a way to play that or take advantage of that? And um, we thought that coal was the easiest way to play as a South African investor, given that we have coal mining businesses here. And I think that that ended up being our biggest winner is taking advantage of that, pipe this in the coal market to, to, to get our coal 
and um, maybe that gives you an indication of how our thought process would work around these kind of events. And against that backdrop then, um, because it was a tough year for most, but in your particular case, um, you're seeing above 10% you know, type of uh, performance on your fund. And you mentioned the fact that it's because of that inherent strategy as a, as a fund manager to, to look for those companies that will be able to outperform even some of those downturns. Keen to get an understanding of two things, right? Firstly, I don't know what type of detail you can share with us around, uh, you know, the performance of the fund, but the balance. Uh, because when we started this, uh, when we started this discussion, and I asked about your view of 2022, you said, okay, globally and in South Africa, sort of showing that tension that um, investors tend to have. You need to be aware of what's going on locally and internationally, and that lends itself to that ongoing debate of whether you should be allocating your capital locally or internationally as well. So getting a sense of that balance and also which sectors performed well um, for you guys. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a good question. And, and typically for us, it, it will differ in year by year. We, we've got a diversified portfolio where we look to take advantage of many different opportunities. And I can tell you last year that his set part of the portfolio did very well for us. A share like Tugela did very well. A business like Outsurance, uh, the local banks and um, some of the local insurance companies we played reasonably well so we i think we had several nice winners in sa um and then if i look at the negative uh, the, the detractors it's to your point earlier where you mentioned the global technology shares they were big winners for us in 2020 and 2021 for the funds post COVID, and i think we we um, own some some high quality businesses but then as a fund manager you're always going to have some mistakes and one of my mistakes was not acting aggressively enough when we saw the increased rates and how they would impact, especially tech companies where the profits are further out in the future versus SA companies and the fact that those shares are likely to come down into a rising rate environment. So while we did take some action, we certainly did pay in a company like Facebook, that's now Meta, that was kind of our, our biggest negative for the year. And then probably also on some of the Chinese shares that's bounced back towards the end of the year and to the start of this year but still as a whole had quite a poor last year. So as a fund, you're always going to have more uh, winners and losers. One of the key skills of a fund manager is trying to make sure that you win bigger and you lose smaller and manage your losses and cut those positions and let your winners run. And I think again, we part of the results, what the reason for the double digit return is, I think we did a reasonable job at that, but that's a challenge every year. You are going to have some wrong identifying them early, cutting them and can make sure you get bigger winners is to keep part of things. So for the year ahead, I'm, I'm not quite sure how that return split will look. You, you never know up front, but the key is having a diversified portfolio with hopefully kind of, I don't know, 10 to 20 kind of ideas that can be big winners or losers, and then hopefully getting 70 or 80% of them right and, and only kind of 20 or 30% of them wrong. Yeah, no, on balance, it really does seem as if that diversification really does come into play when you look at uh, you know, what's been going on. The things that were doing well for you guys just a year or two ago end up being some of your biggest losses in the most recent year. Keen to get um, your take on that because I'm a huge geek and I cover technology companies. So very keen to get your sense as someone who has owned some of these technology stocks how do you see technology valuations, I guess, evolving over time? Uh, have we reached the bottom 
or are we still <laughs> are we still on our way down you know how do you see technology valuations uh evolving over time that, that's such a good question and you're really putting me on the spot because I, I think we're we're at a very tricky point to make that call um i'll, I'll just give you broadly how, how we think about it right now and again that that might change as we get more information but i mean i think the previous decade 2010 to 2020 was a just a glory period for these tech companies. They started small. I mean, Facebook was tiny at the start of the 2010s. Um, even Amazon, Google, they were all much smaller than they are now. And they just had a fantastic decade and, and compounded an amazing rate. But towards the end of the decade and into this new decade now, we are seeing them more and more be very large companies. And they're all entering each other's space. You now have Google, Microsoft, Amazon. They all compete on cloud computing where... 10 years ago, they didn't compete on anything because they were small enough to just grow in their own fields. But after, as they've gotten bigger, you just have this competition. Like Facebook is competing directly now with YouTube Shorts, with TikTok, um, on their Instagram Reels product. So these companies have just become behemoths, and now the behemoths are, are having to fight it out, where for the previous decade, they just got market share from the real-world companies, from the old bricks and mortar business. So it was almost easy pickings where now you're facing each other. So... We think there are still good times ahead for the tech companies potentially, but it's it's certainly not going to be as easy as before. So you've got to be forced to respect as to which ones you own. And we don't think you can just buy and hold them in the portfolio for the next five or 10 years. We think it's more of a, a trading mindset where you can maybe have a poor holding, but if they run and do well, you take some profits, you wait for a pullback, you reinvest. So it's probably more stocks to, to trade somewhat more actively this is just being able to close your eyes, buy a basket of quality tech names and be okay for the next five or 10 years. As with anything, if you can pick the winners, if you can pick the next Google or Facebook or Amazon, you are going to do exceptionally well. But that's that's always a hard task. There's many, many companies trying to be uh, the future large companies. So we certainly try to do some of that. But that's, that's a harder task than just owning the winners and letting them run like we do in the previous decade. As you touched on, the valuations have come back. So they're not as expensive as they were at the end of COVID or at the end of 2021. So that's the, that's the challenge you've got. I mean, we haven't started buying back in a meaningful way. We still have some core holdings left. Um, but I think we think they're probably only fair now. We don't think they're screaming at cheap at these levels. Mm. No, no, no. It will be an interesting space to watch over time. Um, I think if I can give whatever view I can, I think the more Western uh, tech companies, particularly in the US, 2023 might continue to be a bit of pressure. Uh, but, you know, looking forward to see if the Asian tech stocks, especially now there's been a, a bit of a relaxing of the stance regulatorily on that side, you know, hopefully that will be one of those things that helps to drive tech in that part of the world. But now taking time to maybe look at, uh, you've already spoken, you know, this name a couple of times as being uh, the bright spot in the portfolio, and that's uh, Tungela, all right, you know, for you guys. You know, maybe you could spend a little bit of time talking us through that particular investment. That's a share that, you know, more than quadrupled. Call demand is, you know, at another level now. I guess this is one of the bright sparks that came out of the geopolitical surprise that we were talking about earlier on to say that it did result in in some bright sparks along the way when you talk to fund managers sometimes they always say you never put a good crisis to waste and i guess <laughs> and i guess this is evidence of something like that 
Yeah, so so I'll, I'll take you back to where we uh, when we made the initial investment was uh, in June 2021 when Anglo American unbundled their their Tungela shares, and the reason that it was interesting to us at that time is is firstly we love looking for opportunities in unbundlings because what happens in unbundling is some offshore fund manager that owns Anglo American he now gets the South African coal share export portfolio. He didn't choose to buy that coal share; he chose to buy Anglo. He might like diamond exposure or the iron ore or the Kind of platinum exposure, now he gets a coal share. His ESG staff member is going to give, um, give him kind of negative ratings or there's going to be an issue with his ESG rating if he hands up to the coal stock. So what does he do? In the first lead, he gets the share. He's just a poor seller. And um, one of our rules is we love buying from four sellers and you always want to look for opportunities where people are selling shares for non-economic reasons. So it certainly ticked that box for us. Another box it ticked is there's been underinvested in coal again because of these ESG and green pressures. The banks don't want to fund new coal mines. Governments don't want to give um, mining rights um, because the world is moving to a greener future, which, I mean, we're in support of, but you also got to face economic reality. If there's still a lot of coal power stations that's powering most of the world right now, you need enough coal for that. So if you underinvest, um, it's going to mean the price has to go up to stimulate new investment. So it seemed to us that coal would be underinvested um, before that. And then our work is involves detailed modeling of companies and where we built the model for Tungela when it was 25 rand a share at that stage, we could just see if there's any bounce here in the coal price. I mean, coal prices were probably like $100 today. If there's any bounce in the coal price to 150 or $200, you could literally earn your share price in one year, was our thinking. So any share we could make a shot, all share price that dividend in one year, that's something you want to strongly consider for your portfolio. So it kind of ticked all those boxes for us up front. Obviously, what then happened is things end up being even better than we thought. Uh, the war caused significantly greater tightness in the coal market. And uh, as I touched on earlier, when we saw that, we immediately went back to get to together and said, we actually need to buy more of this. This is the one edge you can have against this war. The tougher the war gets, the worse the global economy could become, but this company will benefit because those coal prices will continue to go higher. So we increased our position significantly um, into the run-up of the war and, and, and post that starting. Um, and then kind of things, fortunately, in this case, they don't always play out as you hope. They played out very much as we'd hoped that uh, the coal prices got very tight. It went all the way from $100, peaked at about $350. And that's if, if you think about it, let's say Tungela cost for about $80 a ton. If the selling price is $100, you make $20 profit per, per ton of coal. Now the selling price goes to $350, your cost is still $80. So now you make 270 of profit. So your profit goes from $20 to under 270. But that's like 10, 15 times increasing your monthly profits as you sell that coal, which just shows you the embedded gearing in these resource companies when the price goes up. Um, so I, I think that, that that was fortunate. Another thing we did here is, is work very closely with management, interacted a lot with the company management and told them what shareholders wanted to do is not to use that money to expand your coal mining business aggressively, rather return to shareholders to a dip. Maintain your current production, but don't go do acquisitions, don't go overpay for other assets, just pay the money now. And I, th I think the fact that they had the discipline and did that was handsomely rewarded by the market and, and I, I guess saw the share price be closer to 350 or 360. Um, now, now, one thing you've got to realize, capitalism, people will do stuff that, that makes them money. So if the coal price is high, companies will increase coal production. Right around the world, people will start looking at, can I sell a little bit more? Can I produce a little bit more coal? Those prices are so attractive. So that's how supply-demand problems get sorted out. And what you've seen into this year is coal prices have not topped and they are trending down. 
partly supported by warmer winter in Europe. So, so we think the peak in coal prices has happened, which is why in the second of last year, when it got to attractive levels, we did sell the entire position. So it's always sad to see your winners go, but in the end, we owe the company to, to make money for our investors. And when it gets to your fair value, fair value, you have to have the discipline to sell it all. Um, yeah, so that's, it's been a, it's been a very nice success story. Um, can I confirm? Do you still have anything left of uh, of that, or has it all completely been sold? We, we sold the entire position towards uh, in the start of the fourth quarter of, of last year, around kind of September, October, November. So nothing left at this stage. Doesn't preclude us from buying it again with you, but but right now, where the cold prices are right now, uh, I mean, it's not. We think it's around fair value. Um, and we'd wait for a slightly better entry point personally. Okay, because I guess in hindsight, uh, the decision makes perfect sense. Uh, but one of the things that I was uh, keen to get, you know, your take on is the fact that when you are in such a position where um, you've got this, uh, this is the type of deal that has ticked all of your internal boxes. And then in the external environment, everything is, you know, is happening in a way that's favorable to the company. You've got a rising share price, rising commodity prices that you're directly taking advantage of is just how do you ensure that you have the mechanisms in place to lock in the gains? right at the right time because for all you know uh the run on the coal price could continue maybe we'll be talking about an 800 dollar coal price one day um or do you take the dividends um and say okay cool at least we got some money out and then you sell the stock and also realize the value on that end because i'm sure that is always the thing that um, investment professionals struggle with to say, you know, how do you make sure that you are buying or selling at the right time? And in your case, uh, the question was more around when would you have said, okay, we've logged in our gains, we got our returns, we're good, and we're okay not riding this out if there's anything else to ride out. Yeah, that that really right there is one of the hardest things in investing um, to, to know exactly how to, to time the sell. Uh, and I'm not going admit, to admit that we get this right all the time. It's one of the key things we work on. And it's one of those things where I think with experience, the longer the time you, you stay in the investing industry, the, the, the better you will get because you will have painful experiences where you love the stock and it doubled or tripled or went up five times, but you fell in love with it and you didn't sell and then it pulled all the way back. So Going through those experiences, learning from them is a key part of this to say, the, the key thing really is you cannot get emotionally involved because when a stock does well, we as humans, we love things that do well for us. You, you, you like that stock. You want to hold on to it. And we try to really strip out the emotion and get down to the numbers. And the way we invested in Tegelas, we had a fair value model that's based on the discount cash flow of future profits. So we said, for the next five or seven years, we think this is the gold price trajectory. We discount that back and we get a fair value. And for a long period of time, Tungela was maybe trading at 100. My fair value was 300. Then it's like, this is a streaming buy. You just got to buy every share you can. But then eventually when it got to 350, 360, it was actually right on our target price at that point in time. And we said, okay, the share is right on fair value. We don't own shares that's at fair value in the fund. We own shares that are cheap. What? 20 or 50% below fair value. That's what we got to do for investors. We can't just own share the fair value, then we're just going to do, do the same as the market. So we stuck with our model there, and the, the model told us this is where you exit the position, and we exited it. 
as you mentioned, you can't know for sure what the cold price will be. No one knows that perfect. The best you can do is use your experience, use judgment, look at the supply and demand dynamics in the market and make a call on that. And, and that's what we did. In this case, it worked out close to exactly as we had hoped. But but trust me, we, we, we've gotten some wrong in the past and we're going to get some wrong again. Uh, you, you obviously get, will do your best, but but that's it's just a tricky thing to get right every time. No, most certainly. And uh, I guess once again, we always say that hindsight is twenty twenty. but I'm sure very difficult decisions to make in the moment. Now, in these last couple of minutes, uh, last couple of minutes, Jacques, maybe getting your sense of, uh, you know, 2023, uh, because we've, we've done, you know, quite a good review of the year that was uh, the type of investments that drove your funds. But, you know, looking ahead to the year, how are you guys looking at uh, 2023 and particularly how are you looking at it as a hedge fund so um if i if i start with with the year ahead the, let's say again globally the key thing for us will be these aggressive rate hikes we've seen in the u.s where you're about it's like 100 basis points we're probably going to have another 25 or 50 uh, this week from the fed the ecb is high the, the bank of england's high we know interest rate hikes have a six or 12 months lag before they do back the economy history so we are right now entering a period where these rate hikes will start impacting the economy so the the key question that i don't think is answered right now is how significantly will the economy slow down because of these rate hikes that happened last year and um, and that will still happen in the in the year ahead so watch your data closely to figure that out moving on to sa we think south african shares are still more attractively priced than global shares so we like sa as I touched on earlier, we've just got these big issues with ESCOM and Transnet. And um, specifically, ESCOM right now is just really betting the companies. ShopRite had a trading update yesterday saying they, 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 they had to burn 500 billion rand of diesel in the last six months to keep their stores going for customers. And that's just one company. And, and in six months, so let's say ShopRite alone, burning a billion rand a year of extra diesel, it's going to be important. So this will hurt SA companies. but. People are resilient. After COVID, people were negative, and yet our economy bounced back. I think South Africans, South African businesses are resilient. We've seen tough times before. We know how to respond. So we think the economy in the next year will try to become more electricity self-sufficient, and hopefully ESCOM will also sort out some of their maintenance backlog so that we've got a better 2024. Putting all that together, we right now are somewhat cautious. Markets have run hard in, the, in, the, in, the, in January this year. Uh, we've taken the chance to sell some exposure down. We're currently running quite a bit more cash than usual and lower equity exposure than usual. We think it's a market where you rather want to err on the cautious side and be ready to take advantage of attractive opportunities when they emerge. So, I mean, we've got some nice stocks in the portfolio that we like, but right now we think sitting on a bit more cash and being ready to deploy is going to serve investors well in the year ahead. You don't want to be overexposed and panic if, if there's a big market sell-off in, uh, uh, in 2023. All right. So that's been it. It has been, you know, quite a fascinating discussion. Really enjoyed this one. Just talking to Jacques around, uh, you know, how they've come around as, uh, you know, Peregrine Capital, just going through, you know, some of their history, um, what's driving the investment philosophy. It was also great, you know, running through that uh, Tungela case study, how they think through uh, one of those things like an unbundling, because we see unbundlings happening, you know, all the time. And 
And it's great to see, I guess, the framework that they've built for something like that. And then on the other side of making an investment decision is always, okay, cool. We, we came in and we bought, but at what point do we sell? And, uh, you know, that continues to be, you know, a hard one. But at least in this case, this was one of those things that actually worked out very well for them. But Jacques is uh, humble enough to admit the fact that uh, they haven't always gotten things right. And chances are uh, they won't always get things right in future. And that is the nature of the markets. That is uh, the nature of investments. I think lastly, on my end... Uh, uh, you you know me me I am a, I am a geek so you know just getting those thoughts around uh, the technology valuations and how we could be thinking around them you know will be interesting uh, interest rates in particular if they do start coming down it'll be you know interesting to see what that does when the cost of capital starts coming down what is that going to do for some of the speculation around venture capital and some of the public markets that are out there so that's been it that was us we were talking to uh, Jacques Conradi, who is the CEO of Peregrine Capital. Jacques, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much for the word. It was great. This is Mudiwa's Take. Really great discussion with uh, Jacques just walking us through their investment philosophy and how they've been able to weather the markets in the last couple of years. The funds were up, both of them. I think he said one was up 13 and the other one was up 12%, uh, percent, which is definitely good result in the current environment. Uh, but also just showing the fact that despite the fact that it's all it was positive on the on the whole uh, that there were components that hadn't done well during that time, particularly those uh, technology stocks. Now, speaking of those technology stocks, um, that's definitely something that I will keep uh, an eye on as someone who is really into uh, the technology space. I think for me, it's the fact that uh, these are some of the largest companies around the world. When you think of the Apples, the Googles, the Facebooks of this world and the type of wealth creation, wealth transfer uh, that they have been able to create over the last decade. These are not companies that should be sneezed at or forgotten. Uh, they've had a huge impact in the markets and uh, the value destruction over the last year is something that... Uh, you know, has likely impacted you a lot of people. So my biggest curiosity is as the hiking cycle comes to an end and we start seeing those interest rates coming down, how soon before we start seeing valuations going back up again? It, it feels in a way like there had been a little bit of a bubble that had been created. So the question then becomes, um, as interest rates start coming down, right, do we start seeing that speculative behavior, you know, coming back into the market because the cost of capital is uh, cheaper or does some of that uh, prudence that has been forced into the market continue to be the prevailing attitude going forward And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcasts on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight. 
which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.